whole chapter. Keep in mind what we didn't include in last week's sermon. You remember from verse 16 onward how there was no weapons in all of Israel except for in the hands of Saul and Jonathan, his son. And you'll remember that the Philistines came raiding. And now we'll pick up the story at chapter 14, verse 1, page 278 in our Pew Bibles. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's a little bit long. We're not going to uh, include the verses 47 and following in our sermon, but we will read them all. Page 278, 1 Samuel 14, at verse 1, let's hear the word of God. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other Sina. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Maybe that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I'm with you, heart and soul. And then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer. said, come up to us. We will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, within as it were, a half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. And Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who's gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of the Lord here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Israel was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. And so Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And then Saul said to all the people who were with him, or, and all the people who were with him, rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. And now the Hebrews, who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the, to be with the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. 
So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid on them an oath, or an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground, and when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with that oath. So he put out the tip of the staff with his, that was in his hand, rather, and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. And one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. And then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You've dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. Every one of the people brought his ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us, leave, let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. And then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. And therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. And Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. And the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua, and the sons of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Merib, and the name of the younger, Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimahaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. 
Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. As for the reading of God's holy word, may he now bless that word to us. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, you've undoubtedly heard that saying, buyer beware, that acknowledgement that when we purchase things, when we go online, maybe on Facebook Marketplace, and we see something, that you'd better make sure that you're getting what it is that you ordered. You had better be sure that things are exactly what they should be. Buyer, beware. Because if buyer is not beware, then we have another saying. We speak about buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse, which happens when you purchase something and then you regret it. You, you see it maybe in a way that, that wasn't what you thought. It didn't do what you wanted it to. It, it didn't make your life better when you thought it would. Maybe, maybe just after you bought it, they came out with a, a newer, better version and you regret having bought this one. Then you have buyer's remorse. So buyer beware, lest you have buyer remorse. And that's a good bit of wisdom, I think, or that would have been a good bit of wisdom for the Israelites when they were seeking a king. They should have been aware. They should have been they should have realized the, the, the importance, the, the significance of the man that they were choosing for themselves. How important this character, this, this office bearer would be in their lives. And I wonder then if they now begin to experience remorse. They now begin to see in the decision that they made with respect to Saul that they'd done poorly. They had purchased badly. They weren't aware and now they are remorseful. I wonder if they are. Indeed, I wonder if anyone is in the church of Jesus Christ who in their time makes the decision to follow a different king than the king of kings. Because the sad truth is within the context of the church, this does happen. That is, there are members of the church who do, are not aware. They don't take that, that admonition to heart. By your beware. They don't they don't think about the decision they're making with respect to their life direction and the leadership in their life, the person that they're following. We all follow someone. We all have a tendency by nature to follow idols. And we believe that these idols are able to bless. And sometimes you have members of the church that, that say in the end, though they've been raised in the covenant community, though they've been taught the things of Jesus Christ, their home has presented to them the gospel. They have been reminded of God's promises to them in baptism, yet they choose in the end to pursue a different way. They leave the faith. They leave the church. They leave the way of the Lord, believing undoubtedly that there is blessing to be found outside of this restrictive, narrow-minded, patriarchal, whatever word they want to use, community. There is this sense, isn't there, that, that if I leave the church, if I don't have to abide by these rules, then my life will be free. I'll be happy. Everything will be great. No one leaves the church because they think it'll make their life worse. They leave the church because they think it'll make it better. And when they leave the church, surely there comes a day 
when the burden of God's judgment against them, when the weight of God's covenant curses bears upon them, there must come a point when they see at the family dinner their brothers and sisters who have remained in the church, their marriages lovely, intact, strong, their children beautiful, obedient, lovely, when they see the businesses of their friends and families who are believers succeeding in their way, when they see the health, the mental health, the emotional, spiritual health of their friends who stayed in the faith strong, then do they ever have buyer's remorse? Do they ever stop and say, wait a minute, what have we done? What have I done? I've given up my birthright. I have surrendered the blessing of God for a bowl of soup for nothing they realize what they've done. It seems to me that that's what this passage in 1 Samuel 14 is about, especially the verses 1 through 46, which are our text. It's a passage that says to us, that says to us who are the church today, beware, beware. Be wise in your choices, in the decisions you make in your life. Be wise whom you follow. Be wise whom you trust. Beware, lest you have remorse. And it presents to us in this chapter, in the first place, the most glorious picture of a godly son. We finally meet, now more fully, the person of Jonathan. We've heard about him. We heard about him briefly in chapter 13. Now we get to meet him more fully. And what a man he is. What a godly, godly man. The very king that Israel needed is the son of the king that they have. Jonathan, with only his armor bearer, decides that he'll attack an entire garrison of the Philistines. He decides that the two of them will do war with this well-armed, well-provisioned, well-trained army. And he does it in the most unmilitary of ways. He goes without telling anyone that he's gone. There's no backup. There's nobody going to come rescue him. He does it by climbing up a rock face to these Philistines. All they'd have to do is drop a rock halfway down, when he was halfway up rather, and that would have been the end of this story. A well-placed arrow would have ended this adventure. And he does it against a much greater numbered foe. So that from a military point of view, Jonathan's a fool. Jonathan knew something that the great generals of this world might not. Something that we as church in a trying time in the culture in which we live sometimes forget. He knew that nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. That's what Jonathan says to his armor bearer. The Lord who is with us, the Lord is able to give us the victory. The Lord is able to defeat great numbers. Thousands can flee from before one man when the Lord is on the side of His people. What is is evident rather between the idea that Jonathan has of attacking the garrison and the execution that Jonathan brings upon those Philistines is that this Son of God rests unreservedly and with absolute confidence in His great and glorious God, His covenant Lord. He trusts so very profoundly. Come, He says to His 
to his armor bearer, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. He's offended that these wicked, unbelieving, rebellious idolaters are in the kingdom of God. What are these sinners doing within the paradise of the Lord, the land flowing with milk and honey? This is the place of the redeemed, not the place of the unredeemed and uncircumcised. He says it may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by few or by many. And then he says in verse 10, But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. And then in verse 12, he says to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan trusted unreservedly, inspirationally in his God, in our God, who is sovereign over heaven and earth, before whom the very gates of hell must give way. And Jonathan's faith in God is answered perfectly, not only in the resounding victory that he achieved over this garrison, but also notice in the devotion of his armor-bearer. Put yourself for a moment, for if there is anybody in this story that we should align with, it's that guy. We're not Jonathan. We're not Saul. But maybe we're the armor-bearer of Jonathan, the Christ-like character of this passage, the one who's held up to us as the paradigm of what is good, of faith and service and sacrifice, who willingly will die in order to bring blessing upon his people. Notice that at the very end of this story, Jonathan says, I will die. And then he's ransomed. He's purchased back. Such redemptive language. Such gospel terms. Christ is being presented to us here. So we're not Jonathan. This isn't a story that says, can you be as bold as Jonathan in your life? But it might be a story that says, can you be as bold as the armor bearer? Because this guy must have thought, what in the world have I gotten into? What does Jonathan want to do? Why do I got to follow this guy? And yet what we discover when we read the text is that he has total confidence in Jonathan. He is absolutely certain that the Lord will bless and that he will follow. In verse 7, he says, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. This armor bearer is willing to go into battle with this king, with this Christ-like figure. He is willing to surrender his life to fight the good fight of the faith because he has been inspired by Jonathan. And that is indeed what Israel needed. This is exactly what Israel needed. Remember what brought us to this point. Remember that there was Saul waiting for Samuel to come. Remember how all of his troops fled. Remember how Saul was getting nervous and quickly made the sacrifice when he shouldn't have. Saul wasn't inspirational. Saul was not bringing confidence into his armed forces. He did not make his people say, we're with you, heart and soul. They said, we're out of here. Some of them joined the Philistines. Some of them ran to the land of Ephraim. All of them hid in caves. But the armor bearer says, I go with you. 
This is what Israel needed, an inspiring, victorious, blessed king, a sacrificial king, ready to lay down his life in confidence that the Lord would bless his efforts, inspiring others, ridding the promised land of its enemies, bringing peace and prosperity upon the church. This is what Israel needed. This is who we need. Again, the point isn't here to see in Jonathan, Jonathan's heroics an example for us such that we might say, be like Jonathan. Climb your craggy mountains. Attack your enemies with confidence. I mean, to be sure, to be sure, Jonathan's confidence should be our confidence. Jonathan had lo- little to go on compared to what we have. Jonathan only knew that the Lord was faithful to that point in redemptive history. He knew the stories of God's faithfulness to Israel out of Egypt in the, prom- in the, in the wilderness and in the promised land under men like Joshua and in the days of the judges. We know that God is faithful to His people, that He is victorious over His enemies in Jesus Christ. We know the power of God at work within our lives. We know just how good God is to those who trust Him. We can know a thousand times more that God will bless those who live in service to Him. And that ought to encourage us. That ought to encourage those of us here today that are going through a trial right now, who are facing difficulty. Enter that trial. Stand in that moment confidently. For know that your God in Jesus Christ loves you and will give to you the victory. You are more than a conqueror through Him who loved you. And those of us who are being called at this point, maybe in a relationship, maybe in service to others to be sacrificial, the Lord has placed it upon our hearts to be a blessing to others, and we know that it will cause us some pain, it will cause us pride to be, our pride to be slain, it may cause our bank account to be slightly less full, it may cause our time to be devoted to others. We're being called to be sacrificial to others, to give up a blessing that you believe is right, to serve others in a way that blesses them. But do it, do it, people of God, in the confidence that your God will bless you. Your God watches over you. Your God will be pleased with the praise of His name that you offer. And as a church, as a church community, we ought to be confident like this. We are called to face a culture that is contrary to the world, that is no longer post-Christian, but is now anti-Christian, who are called to raise children in this context, in this environment, and wonder how will they be able to stand against that flood of dissipation? How will the church be able to resist the temptations, the immorality of our world? Parent with confidence, raise and lead our church community with confidence. Because we go under the banner of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are the victors. The world is defeated. Let us stand confidently in our day and not despair, but rejoice and say, let us go. Let us win the battle for the Lord will give victory whether by few or by many. There are many moments in our lives when we face a foe that seems too big, too impossible for us to overcome, and we need to trust in the Lord. But that's still putting too much on this passage. Because we're not Jonathan, and we're not fighting Philistines. 
And we're not in the same redemptive moment as Jonathan is. Ours is a different one. We live post-ascension, post-Pentecost. And we are called to see not how great Jonathan is, but how great Jesus is. Because there is a contrast presented in this passage from the very first between Jonathan and his father. The story begins by mentioning what Saul is up to, sitting casually, afraid, in a cave with his diminishing numbers. We're even told, and I don't know if you noticed that, but who is with Saul? The people who were with him were about 600, we're told, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother. Every one of these names makes it worse and worse and worse. Ichabod's brother, son of Phineas. We've met him already. Son of Eli. That's not a good situation. That's not, those aren't a good bunch of guys to be with. Those are the guys that are under judgment by the Lord for their wickedness. Saul sitting in this situation. And it's Jonathan that goes in boldness. Saul does not advance the cause of God's kingdom. He gets swept along in this business. And then when he gets swept along, he makes a hash of it. He turns it inside out and upside down, bringing sorrow where there ought to be joy. He comes off as a bit of a bumbling king. But Jonathan strides confidently across the pages of our Bible, holding up to us the promise of a greater king. And this is what we need to heed today in our circumstance. This is what needs to be impressed upon our hearts today, every one of us. As we sit in worship today, our commitment, our decision today needs to be to follow Jesus Christ at all costs. That's a word to those who are among us and who are dating who desire to be married. There's a word for you in this passage, a call to see the greater Jonathan in your life. Because this is what you need. This is who you need. You need someone who prioritizes God and surrenders all in service to Him. You need to know today that God knows far better than you who you should marry. And you need to trust Him. Those of us who are pursuing a career, who are pursuing our business goals and desires and designs, who are making business decisions and who are making them in the context of a world that values material wealth, material success, who thinks that business is all about getting rich. We need to again submit our lives to this King, to this Savior. And we need to, like the the armor-bearer, trust in Jesus, heart and soul, in the decisions that we're making. We need to follow His will. We need to follow His way. The Lord Jesus is a better master, a better business owner to follow than anything this world has to offer, than any of the Warren Buffets of this age. When you walk in the way of integrity, in the way of glorifying God, in the way of kingdom service, then you follow this King. Those of us who are engaged in the public sphere, 
who may think that this program, this politician, this party will be a solution to our nation's problems, do we forget that unless the Lord build or blesses the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain? Are we confident that by applying the word and will of Christ, not only to our lives, but in the circumstance of our country, that we will experience victory? Do we go into the battle that is before us trusting Jesus? Too easily and too carelessly, the truth is we pick Saul as our king day after day. Which is to say, we pick those who we believe will make our lives better today. That'll make us happy now. That'll make us blessed now. That we are far better to say with that armor bearer, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. For behold, I am with you heart and soul, saying to Jesus, I serve you, my King. That armor bearer loved Jonathan. Our Jesus died on the cross that we might live. Let us See the greatness of this King and surrender our lives afresh and anew to Him. There is sorrow when we do not. Everything that follows after this victory uh, speaks to us of Saul's bumbling failings. The garrison suddenly goes. The Lord blesses Jonathan's faith. An earthquake happens. The entire Philistine garrison, all those three tribes, or all those three garrisons that had come there to Michmash that we read about in chapter 13, they're suddenly fleeing. And Saul doesn't know what's going on. Saul doesn't recognize the hand of God at work. Who's missing? Oh, it's Jonathan. Quick, get the ark. We need blessing from God. Quick, bless us. Okay, don't bless us anymore. We don't have time. We have to go. Don't eat food, people. Don't eat food. We've got to kill Philistines. The entire business is a contrast to the glorious work of Jonathan. Saul is no Jonathan. There's no reason for Saul to do these things or to do the things the way that he did. There is a hint in this event that all of these attempts by Saul to do these various acts and activities were done by Saul in an attempt to curry God's favor. That is, that when he sought the priest's blessing before battle, he was, he was sort of learning his lesson from the chapter before. I, I better make sure that I do things right. I better make sure that I do everything exactly the way God wants me to. The promise to kill anyone who eats any food that, that may be an attempt by Saul to say to God, look God, look how devoted I am to you. Look how committed I am to your cause. The business of the stone. These people were so hungry, they were violating God's command by eating meat that has blood in it. And so Saul is backed into building his first altar by putting this stone there so that the people would not offend the Lord. His decisions don't bring the people into blessing. They bring them into curse. His decisions don't bring joy. They bring sorrow. Saul's decisions go from bad to worse. Especially that decision on prohibiting, pro, pro, uh, the food prohibition. That, that may again have been a, an attempt at Saul, by Saul to say, look, we're going to forego, we're sacrificing ourselves so that we can destroy the Philistines. But that decision turns extremely bad. No food means no energy, no strength to finish off the Philistines. 
The hunger of his men results in their offending the Lord by eating meat with blood in it, and the whole rash oath thing blows up in Saul's faith. Even if it's Jonathan. Oh, shoot, it's Jonathan. Everything Saul does is disastrous. In the end, it's only the people who finally arrest Saul's foolishness, who finally redeem, ransoms Jonathan from the death grip of his own father. You will not kill him. He's the one that fought. Can't you see, Saul, what's going on here? Jonathan has fought for the Lord. Here is the deliverer of Israel. And they claim him. They claim this, Jonathan. They stand against their king. They've experienced buyer's remorse. We don't want you, Saul. Jonathan's a good king. We're going to save him. We're going to buy him. He is ours. Because he has fought for the Lord. Now again, we want to be cautious in drawing too many conclusions. For on the one hand, we want to say something about how Saul's poor choices led him from disaster to disaster. So, as a result, congregation, don't be like Saul. And we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be, especially those of us, and ultimately all of us, have leadership positions. We are all image bearers of God. We've all been given authority by God. We are all called to lead in some place, in some way. Even in our homes, even our youngest members. Even our youngest members have authority. And anyone in a leadership position should not follow in in Saul's footsteps. That's true in the church, church leadership, society leadership, leadership at school or the home. Parents, do not put unreasonable expectations on your children. Elders, don't be boastful and brash, saying things like, who do you think you're dealing with? And churches should understand the call to lift up the weak need, to strengthen the feeble arms, not to put added burdens upon them. It's always a bad example to follow. So don't follow that example. Don't be like Saul. Don't lead selfishly. Don't lead cruelly. Don't lead in a way that brings sorrow, not joy. That is true. We should learn that lesson, not only from this passage, but from so many others. We should not do this. But the passage has a different purpose and focus for us. We are not in the end Saul, and we're not in Saul's redemptive moment. Saul was, unlike us, to be the example, to be the type of the one who was to come, to be the image of Jesus. A type of the Savior who would be King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what Saul was supposed to do and be within the context of his ministry in Israel in those days. And that is Saul's biggest issue. There is Saul's failure. Saul does not demonstrate to the world, to the church, to anyone, what God's plan of redemption is, what God's promise of grace is, what God is preparing His people for. Saul does not lead his people in this passage into green pastures. He doesn't bless their labors. He doesn't use their service to advance God's kingdom. He hinders it. He brings it into disrepute. He brings God's judgment upon the land. So that it's hard, isn't it, in this story of Saul to see Saul in Saul's action any reflection of the great King of Kings, the great Messiah. None of us 
sees in, in Saul the glorious revelation of the gospel. We see instead the oppressiveness, the narrow-mindedness, the cruelty that is too often the mark of the church. The judgmentalism, the narrow-mindedness, the selfishness. This is about me. This is about me proving my piety. This is about my proving my worth. Not about serving my God. And that's Saul's problem. And that's the issue we need to learn out of this text, and that is the challenge that we need to face. Because the truth is, this is what happens, people of God. Be aware of this today. Be aware of this in this coming week as you're preparing your heart for the Lord's Supper. As you're coming next Sunday to say, do all that is in your heart as you wish, for I am with you heart and soul. That's what we're going to say to Jesus when we come to the table of our Lord and we partake of the elements and we say, Lord, you are my all and in all. I devote my heart promptly and sincerely in service to you. That's what the Lord's Supper says. When we prepare our hearts for that celebration, let us at least examine our hearts and ask ourselves, where are our souls? That is, where are those people, those things, those priorities that we're following that don't bring blessedness, don't bring us glory, but bring us grief? It may be a relationship we're in that we need to end. It may be a business decision that we're following, pursuing, that we need to repent of. It may be an addiction that we're struggling with. It may be that we'll have to cry out to someone and say, help, I need deliverance. Because I thought pornography would make my life better and it has made it worse. I thought marijuana was just a recreational drug and I'm trapped now. I can't get out of this. Maybe our anger is what we think. Our pride, our own good name is what will make our life better. Maybe we're pursuing a a king like Saul that is self-centered, selfish, materialistic, short-sighted, and sinful. Because the truth is, by nature, we all choose this guy. This is the guy we like. This is our king. We look at our nation around us. We scratch our head at the, how they could elect the officials that we have in government. How could our society ever elect our current leaders? Here's how. This is human nature. This is exactly what we do. This isn't just what our Canadian citizens do. This is what you and I do. We look for something or someone that will make me happy now. And the truth is, when we make that purchase, it goes from bad to worse. And if God is good to us, and if God is gracious to us, then there comes a moment when we have buyer's remorse. And when we look up and say, I've done this wrong. I'm pursuing the wrong blessing. I'm, I'm not being brought into places of blessedness. I'm being brought into a place of sorrow and grief. I'm in the misery of Saul, not in the joy of Jonathan. Now the good news of this passage is that Saul's not the Messiah. We are not stuck with this king. And even if we have been following a type of Saul that is someone who we think will bless us but isn't, we can realize the error of our ways. We can now repent and flee to the greater Jonathan who is Jesus. He will receive us. 
He will welcome us with open arms. He will bless us. For He is the God who delights to save His people. He is the God who delights to welcome us home. So let us us avoid the grief of following Saul. Let us choose again today. Let us commit our lives again today, renewing our commitment to God in Jesus Christ to say, I'm going to follow the greater King. I know the world thinks it's foolishness. I know they don't see the blessedness in following Jesus. They think that it's narrow-minded, patriarchal, and bigoted. But here's what I know. That in Jesus there is victory, but in Saul there is grief. So I will pursue Jesus, and I will live by faith with Him heart and soul. Let's ask the Lord for blessing in that in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you to thank you for this word.